talk about Jesus as our friend. Now, when, when we look in the Bible for Jesus as friend, there's, there's plenty of times where it's spoken about in an idea, but only a few places where the word friend is actually used. But nonetheless, I love this, I love this topic, and I had so much fun studying it this week, so I'm, I'm excited to share with you what God has been laying on my heart. So why don't we pray, and then we'll, uh, we'll dive into Jesus as our friend. Jesus, I just love the fact that you are not one-dimensional. Thank you that you also have come to be our friend. God, that is, it's such a common word. We use it. We talk about our friends or the friends that we grew up with or our best friend. We use that word a lot to define a lot of different relationships. But, but Jesus, I pray that you would just stand apart this morning as our friend. Amen. All right, so the idea of having friendship with someone divine is an absurd idea in most religions. But in Christianity, not only is it possible to have Jesus or God as a friend, it's actually necessary. When we take time to understand Jesus' motives in his earthly ministry, I think that we see the necessity of, with, of friendship with Jesus becoming something not only good, but something extremely necessary. I think that whole idea of this, the importance of friendship with Jesus is, is going to become very clear this morning. So I want to prepare you already that I'm going to ask you to respond. But more than me, I think Jesus is going to ask us to respond this morning in some way. So already be thinking about what it is that you want to have out of your friendship with Jesus. So let's talk, let's talk about this right from the beginning. We have to understand that Jesus came to this earth with the mindset that he wanted to offer friendship. That was his motive. Jesus came offering his friendship. When Jesus began his earthly ministry... He didn't seek to gain influence in the lives of people uh, around him through political power or through force or through celebrity status or anything like that. We know that he was obviously well known and that tons of people, huge crowds flocked around him, but it wasn't because he demanded it. It's because they wanted it. He sought to influence people through his friendship, and that's how people responded. He stooped down into the lives of people and got to know them where they were at, as a true friend would. Jesus didn't just stay in the temple in the big city of Jerusalem and made everybody come to him, but he actually spent time in people's homes, in the country, in the villages, and small towns. I think if, if Jesus had been born in North Dakota, I think he would have come and spent time in the streets and the, and the homes of Kandu. I really believe that's the kind of heart for friendship that he truly had. It's interesting who he also sought to give his gift of friendship to. It was regular people, the regular folks, the blue-collar working class, the notorious, the neglected, and even the despised fringes of society. It's not that he favored these people above the rich or the affluent, but these were the people that had a special place in Jesus' heart. I think this reveals the motives that Jesus had in his friendship. He was coming to truly offer himself as a friend, not to gain something from the people that he befriended, but to be the one who allowed them to gain something through him. Uh, 
For instance, we're going to look at a story here in Matthew 9 of the way that Jesus calls Matthew to be his disciple. And I think that's going to give us a pretty strong glimpse of the friendship that Jesus was offering. So Matthew 9, verse 9 to 13. Jesus came offering his friendship. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners." Jesus also refers back to this instance later on in Matthew eleven nineteen when he quotes the Pharisees who said this about Jesus. Here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And that's exactly who Jesus came to be. That's what he intended to be, a friend. Jesus didn't fall in with the wrong crowd. Sometimes people wonder, well, why was he hanging out with this motley crew of people? It's not that they sucked him in. He offered himself in friendship to this group. He intentionally sought out people who had the greatest need, the people who were the most likely to respond to his friendship. In this story, Jesus invites Matthew, a tax collector, a despised member of the Jewish society, to follow him. My guess is this. Matthew probably didn't have a lot of friends, and the ones that he did have had just as lousy of a reputation as he did. Most tax collectors in the Jewish society at the time during the Roman occupation were Roman citizens. They were people who took on the job that Rome had installed of collecting taxes from the Jews whose country they were occupying. But some Jews also bid for this position. Their practice was to charge more than required and keep the extra taxes for themselves. Tax collectors were essentially considered the scum of society. They were held on the same low plateau as prostitutes. Yet this man, Matthew, was invited into friendship with Jesus, the Son of God, when Jesus told him, follow me. This simple invitation, follow me, means come and be my disciple. Come learn from me. Come experience the life that I lead so that you can learn how to live your life as well. Jesus doesn't use the word friend here himself. He doesn't say to Matthew, hey, I want to be your friend. Can we hang out sometime? He, 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 he makes the invitation differently to follow him, but it's out of an attitude and a generosity that only you can find in a friend. So why would Jesus offer friendship to Matthew? Does Matthew offer Jesus anything at this point? No. But the same could be said for each and every one of us when we first heard about the offer of friendship that Jesus wanted to make into our lives. Jesus doesn't extend friendship to us so that he can benefit from us. He extends friendship to us so that we can benefit from him. Jesus confirms this heart that he has for people when he responds to the not-so-innocent question posed by the Pharisees when they ask, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus said, or this was not really much of a question as it was an accusation, and Jesus responds by saying, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners." 
When Jesus says that he didn't come for the healthy or the righteous, he's not saying that there's a portion of the population that doesn't need his friendship. Everyone needs to receive Jesus as their friend. Everyone does. But Jesus is saying that there is a group of people that realize that they need the friendship of Jesus. It's those who are sick or lost in sin that make this realization a lot more quickly than some other people do. Some people actually insist that they don't need the friendship of Jesus. And it wasn't just the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law that we read about in Scripture. But there are people today, people that I talk to, and they'll say, Jeff, you have this whole Jesus thing and that's just a big crutch for you. I don't need that. I got my life together. People have actually told me that. And it's one of the saddest things to hear. They don't realize that they're missing out on such a tremendous gift that Jesus is extending to them in in offering to be their friend. It's those who are supposedly healthy or righteous. They're the ones who are the first to deny or reject the offer of friendship that Jesus makes. Think about a majority of the interactions that Jesus had with the individual people uh, that he was ministering to on earth. Let's, let's think about them. Just a couple examples here. The disciples, for instance, right? These people, the disciples who Jesus called, had likely all been rejected by a Jewish rabbi when they had applied to be tutored or apprenticed under a Jewish rabbi. They had been rejected and said, you know what? You're just not smart enough. You're not good enough. You don't understand your Torah. So you need to just go and take up your father's trade and become like him. That's why so many of them were fishermen. They had been rejected by a Jewish rabbi. So they went to fish with their dads. And that's what they had resorted to as their career of choice, all second choice, for the rest of their life. These were the rejected ones. And Jesus came and picked them, handpicked them intentionally himself because he said, these are the people that I want to offer my friendship to. Think of Zacchaeus, another tax collector, a chief tax collector at that. He was a cheat, just like Matthew, yet Jesus desired to be a guest in his home. Think about blind Bartimaeus. Others were telling him to be quiet, but Jesus answered his cries when he was calling out, Son of David, have mercy on me, and and Jesus healed his blindness. Think about the woman who was caught in adultery and was thrown to the ground before Jesus. People were ready to stone her, and Jesus steps in befriending her, saving her life when she probably deserved the punishment that people were, were ready to give to her. Think about the woman who was bent over double for 18 years. We can see that in the Gospel of Luke. Jesus initiated the interaction with her. She didn't call to him. He just saw her in her position of weakness with her back issue. And he came to her and he initiated this contact and eventually gave her healing. That's the kind of friendship that Jesus offered. And I love this one. The man, uh, a man with leprosy says, if you want to, you can make me well again. You know what Jesus says? He says, okay, because you ask me. He says, no, okay, because you have faith. He, sa- he doesn't say those things. He says, I want to. That's amazing to me. Because so many other times, people get this wrong idea of God that they have, to, they have to pray in a certain way or they have to behave in a certain way or they have to go to church enough and then that will finally warrant the favor of God. But here we can see through Jesus' friendship that his favor is upon them before they ask for it. He initiates it because he loves and wants to be our friend. He says he wants to. That's amazing to me. None of these people that we just looked at were society's elite. 
They were people with flaws and hurts and sins. But Jesus chose to be their friend. Jesus' friendship with the world began with accepting people just as they were, loving them as they were. Jesus loved us the way that we were, and he loves us too much to leave us the way we were as well. Jesus' friendship with people, it doesn't end on earth. We can see in scripture exactly what he did through his interactions with people, but we understand that there's something greater than just physical interactions with Jesus, more than just healing even. He offers us something spiritually eternal that is good for us and our complete wholeness in the eyes of God. Jesus says in John 15, 13, and we're going to look at a few verses in this chapter, greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. Jesus is saying here that my loving friendship that that I willingly give to you is so great and so endless that I'm even willing to die to show you that friendship, the, the friendship that I give you is something that I have built my whole life around. I love it. Jesus really wants us to know the lengths that he will go to for us to understand the offer of friendship that he makes. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Jesus knew exactly what his purpose was here on earth. Before he left heaven, he knew full well that he was coming to die for the sins of the entire human race so that our forgiveness could be secured. And in knowing this, he did not resist his father's will. He didn't try to to duck his responsibility. He didn't even do this reluctantly. But it was Jesus' friendship towards us as as sinners that proves that he did these things out of the immensity of his love for us. His desire to be your friend is authentic. It's real. It's not put on. It's not fake. It's not something that we just talk about because it sounds good. We talk about it because it's real. That's how much he really does love you. Jesus stopped at nothing to demonstrate his friendship for us. What a friend we have in Jesus. So clearly we can see just from these interactions and our understanding of of what Jesus secured for us through his death on the cross, what kind of a friend we have in Jesus. But the question that we need to then ask is, are we Jesus' friend? Because so far we've just talked about what Jesus has done for us. But there's got to be a response, isn't there? There's got to be some sort of a reciprocal behavior. Otherwise, this friendship is not a friendship. Otherwise, it's just it's purely one-sided. We read earlier about Matthew's call to be one of Jesus' disciples, to follow him, to experience his friendship. And you and I, we are just like Matthew. Jesus is calling all of us, all of us to follow him, to know him as our friend and become a friend to Jesus. What does it look like for you and me to be a friend to Jesus? John 15 verse 14 gives us one example. It says, you are my friends if you do what I command. Jesus is saying that to be his friend, action is required. Friendship to Jesus cannot just be lip service. It can't just be something where we say, well, I'm Jesus's friend because... And then we can't even come up with anything. There has to be an action to prove that our friendship is genuine to Jesus. If we can't think of one thing, it probably means that our friendship to him doesn't actually exist. 
or it exists in such a small way that we can't even remember the last thing we did for Jesus that would have proven our friendship to him. Some people may say, well, Jeff, that's not fair. Why do I have to do something to be in a friendship with Jesus? Doesn't Jesus love everyone? Yeah. And this has nothing to do with his love for us, but our friendship towards him actually has everything to do with our love for him. We've read about Jesus' actions as a friend to us. We read that he came to earth, he loved us practically, he met us where we were at, he cared for us, he offered compassion and forgiveness and wholeness when we didn't deserve it. So if Jesus' friendship was demonstrated by an action, why do we think that our friendship shouldn't be also demonstrated by an action to Jesus as well? These are just the, the basics of life. This is, this is the same standard that we would hold to anyone else. I think a true way to see if we are a friend to Jesus is if others say that we are. I want my friendship to Jesus to be so obvious that you could go and talk to people at my bank, at my grocery store, at the place where I pump gas. Uh, I want you to be able to talk to my neighbors on my street and ask them, you know, is Jeff? a friend to Jesus. And I would want them to say without hesitation, yes, of course he is. Look at the way he lives. Look at the actions he takes in his life. It's obvious that he is a friend to Jesus because I see it every time I see him in action. Anyone can say that they're a friend. A true friend never has to say it because their actions speak loud and clear. Let's just pause for a second and just recap. So we understand that Jesus came to be our friend. He extended friendship into our lives in tremendous ways, like nobody ever has, if we're honest. And we understand so far that Jesus is also asking us to respond to his friendship with actions in our life that show the, the desire of our heart, that we want to be his friends as well. We're going to be brutally honest here, though. If we don't love Jesus, we won't care if he considers us to be his friend or not. Well, you may say, well, Jeff, hang on a second here. I do love Jesus. I just don't have time to be his friend. Well, then you're not a friend. It's just that honest, right? We would say the same thing about anyone else. If I said that I'm your friend, yet I never asked you any questions, I never spent time with you, I never showed interest in your life, and I never was even asking other people how you were doing, that would prove I don't care about you. And if I don't care about you, I am no friend of yours. If that's the standard that we laterally hold with one another as people, surely that at least is the standard that we have to live up to with God. Here, here's just the way I think about this. Just, just consider these things with me. If we don't care about being a friend to Jesus, we won't spend time with him in prayer or reading our Bible, right? It's just that obvious. We won't. That means that we're not his friend. If, we're, if Jesus isn't our friend, we will not make time to worship him. We will not pour out our heart to him, telling him, hey, I love you and I care for you. I would say that to my wife. My wife is my best friend. Every day I tell her that I love her. That's one of the ways that I can prove that she is my friend. If we don't care about Jesus as our friend, we won't read his word. We won't be spending time in scripture. We won't encourage others to know him as we do because we probably don't know him as well as we think we do. 
If Jesus isn't our friend, we will not sacrifice time to serve him, to give to him, to live for him, because we're too busy pursuing other things that we think are more important than our friendship with God. If we don't care about Jesus as our friend, we will not support his church. We won't live with his interests as the single most important thing in our lives. That's the truth. And the truth hurts. And sometimes it's good for us to be cut a little bit. So we can see if our heart really bleeds for Jesus or if it's dry. I'm not doing these things. I'm not saying these things because I want us to feel bad. But we can't be ignorant about what it means to be a friendship or to be in friendship with Jesus. It means that he has done something for us, but something is absolutely required of us to be a friend to him. If we truly do love Jesus, we will work hard in all these areas that we just talked about to do the things to prove to Jesus that he is our friend as well. Jesus is our friend through all he's done, and we are his friends if we do what he commands. The next verse in John 15, which is also verse 15, says, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I have learned from my father, I have made known to you. Did you catch that one subtle part right at the beginning of John 15, 15? Jesus says, I no longer call you servants. Near the end of three years of Jesus pouring his life into his disciples, now, now he, he designates them as friends. This means that something had to have changed over the course of those three years between Jesus and his disciples. Our hint comes from the, the last line of verse 15 where it says, For everything that I learned from my Father I have made known to you. Jesus started as their friend when he called them, right? But they have now become his friends through what? Through knowing more about him because Jesus is relaying more information about his Father to them. That's called abiding. They spent time with Jesus. They stayed with him. They stuck with him. They didn't give up just because it got difficult. They didn't say, oh, this is too hard. They didn't say, you know, I got better things to do. They didn't say, you know, I got a paycheck I got to make. They said, no, Jesus has befriended me. The least I can do is be a consistent and loyal friend to him as well. They remained with him, listening to him, learning from them. And that's when something changed, that's when they moved from being a servant to actually becoming a friend back to Jesus. In Jesus' eyes, servanthood comes first, but servants are meant to mature into friends. Have you ever thought about that? I mean, so many times, I love, I love the innocence of children because I was one at one point and so were all of you. And the, and the, the simple truths that we learned in Sunday school. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Oh, okay, he loves me. That's all I needed to hear, and I'm in, right? That's good. But something is meant to go beyond this innocence. We never should lose childlike faith, but it's supposed to mature. It's supposed to mature into persistent and dedicated action and servanthood, right? And once that servanthood matures, even at that point, then we can see that we become a friend for Jesus. You know how you know if you're a servant of God? It's if you have actions that show that you're a servant. So there, we, there again, we see that there's this action piece that comes first before we can uh, be considered this friend of God. There's an action of servanthood that makes us a friend of Jesus. 
So maybe it's not glamorous. Maybe it's not easy. I can actually promise you it's not easy. But as we serve God, that's how we mature. And as we mature, that's where Jesus says, look at this one. Look at how much they serve me. They clearly love me. And if they love me enough to serve me that consistently, obviously, they are my friend. That's how this works. I I just love this piece. At the moment of salvation, we can't say that we were friends of Jesus because we offered him nothing at that point. But we're supposed to grow towards becoming that. So the first thing that happens, and I just want to give us a couple basic principles to, if you want to jot these down, I love this stuff because this helps us to see the timeline of our faith. So the first thing that happens is that Jesus, he befriends us, and now we need to respond in friendship. And then as we, as we, or this could be exploring Jesus more through just going to church and saying, okay, I see that Jesus wants to be my friend, but I just want to know more things about him, right? It could just be that kind of an, an exploration kind of peace in our life. Or it could be us actually saying, Jesus, yeah, I see that you want to be my friend and I accept you as my friend. Thank you. And I accept you as my savior. And there's a salvation experience. The first step is different for everyone, depending on where we start. But then if we're going to move forward, we, we at one point or another, we have to place our complete trust in Jesus, believing in him and his sacrifices for our sins. That's the only way that we can truly acknowledge the friendship that Jesus has for us. So there's these two things right off at the beginning. Unfortunately, this is where most Christians stop. They see that Jesus wants to be their friend. Oh, that sounds great. And they say, you mean all I have to do is believe? And then they say, I believe. And that's it. And then they never darken the door of a church again. And even if they do, it's just to fill a pew. It's not actually to serve and live a life of action. This is where most Christians stop. And it's a crying shame. But what is supposed to happen now is that as we know more about Jesus, uh, as we spend time with him and we see that, oh, there's an action required, we're going to understand that Jesus is beckoning us to know, not just to know him as a friend, go from and just barely be saved, but move towards being a friend to him as well. And that's where the servanthood piece comes in. That's where we understand that, okay, Jesus requires something of me if I am going to receive him as my friend. And we begin to serve and obey Jesus. As we, we reveal our desire to obey his commands, we quickly prove to be friends of Jesus. Obeying Jesus can be as simple, guys, and I don't want to make this difficult, but I also don't want to make this easy. I just want to speak the truth. Serving Jesus looks like worshiping him with a heart that truly loves him, telling others about him, just being consistent in prayer, practicing gratitude to Jesus, guarding our tongues from saying things that we know Jesus would never say to us. Knowing the Bible, loving others, being encouraging, not being materialistic, but living for the next life that we're going to receive in eternity, being sober-minded and living righteously. Jesus proved that some friends are closer than others. Did you know that? That's why I wanted to pause here again. A lot of people grow and they get to this place where, yeah, I understand I should serve, I should do something. So, yeah, I'll sign up for that committee, whatever. You know, we, we have that kind of attitude. So a lot of Christians, they make it just to trusting in Jesus. Some make it beyond that to a place of servanthood. But then there's this other layer to this thing where there's actually different degrees of friendship that people can offer Jesus. Some people are simply more trustworthy as our friends here on earth. And the same thing goes for how Jesus considers some of us more trustworthy than others. 
Some friends we chat with if we bump into them around town. Some we ask for help when we want to move. And some we go on vacation with, right? There's different degrees of friends. That's just how it works. Peter, James, and John, we see time and time again how Jesus singled them out, bringing them into different situations that the rest of the disciples didn't participate in. Maybe Jesus had a higher standard for these ones, saying, hey guys, I'm trusting you with this. Are you going to respond? And maybe they did. Maybe that's why they kept getting opportunities. This is just my guess. An example in my own life would be a friend of mine. I can say he's a friend today, but we didn't start out like that. He was, he was a guy named Kevin. Uh, who I, I met when I was in grade 10. He was 12 years older than me, and my youth pastor brought him into our youth group one day, and he said, hey, everyone, I want you to meet Kevin and Renee Hildebrand. I'm like, okay. And he says, they're going to be youth sponsors here. I'm like, oh, okay. So he went from some guy to a youth sponsor in a matter of seconds. And I was like, okay, let's see what this guy's all about. And as I got to know Kevin, as we spent time together as we communicated i realized i love this guy he is he's hilarious he's fun he loves jesus he actually cares about me even though like man what do i offer him i'm in grade 10 and this guy is 12 years older than me he's got a wife and and he's like beginning a family all these things I, i just couldn't believe that he cared about me and took an interest in my life and then after, after that, I realized that he's more than a youth sponsor. He was a true friend. When I graduated from high school, he actually became my business partner. We bought five bred goats, and we raised them together until we had 85 goats. It was wonderful. I mean, if you can have 85 goats with a person, that is a sign of true friendship, is it not? Yeah, okay. And then after that, it, it, our, our relationship took a step forward. He became the best man at my wedding. Because when Karen and I got married, there was no one else who I thought of who I wanted to stand up for me. Because we had been through things thick and thin. It was weird. He was 12 years older than me. But we feel like we're friends. We're, we're peers. We're people who truly love each other. And, and now we have this friendship where it goes beyond time. We don't get to see each other every day. We don't get to talk to each other every day. But even I can go for two or three months without seeing him. And we still embrace one another. And we tell each other that we love each other. And we can talk like we didn't skip a beat. That's what it's supposed to be like with people here on earth. And that's also supposed to be what it's like with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's not supposed to stay at, oh, there's Jesus. He's just some guy. It's supposed to go beyond that where we, where we embrace him when we spend time with him. Where it changes our life when we're around him. That is the amazing thing about friendship with God. It calls us to do something different so that we can have not just him as a friend, but a true friendship with him. So maybe a question at this point, we see these different layers. Um, We see these different layers of how people can grow into a, a deeper friendship with God. And some of us, we stay at a very surface level friendship. So yeah, there it is. I should have put that up. The question is, maybe at this point, is why doesn't everybody do this? Why doesn't everybody go beyond just this very basic understanding that Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so? Why is it that some people stay there? Why is it that they're content with just this idea that there's a God up in heaven, and if if I know him and believe in him, then I'm saved from my sins? Why is it that some of us stay there? And why do some of us go beyond that? Why do some of us become leaders in a church? Why do some of us, you know, serve in ministry? Why do some of us volunteer to teach Sunday school? Why is it that there's a difference? Well, here's, 
Here's kind of my theory on this, and I think it's scriptural because we're going to look at a verse that says exactly this. There is a fierce competition for our friendship. James 4 verse 4 says this. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Jesus really, really desires our friendship But so does the world. We have a huge competition on our hands. And because of that, you and I also have a huge choice to make. Either we choose to live as a friend to Jesus or we default to becoming a friend to the world. It's not, it's not a neutral ground situation where if we don't make a choice, we're safe. If we do not choose to live and act as a friend of Jesus, what that means is that we have chosen to live and act as a friend of the world. And we've placed ourselves in opposition to Jesus. It says in James 4.4, we actually become his enemy. So how can we tell which one we are? Jesus made it very clear once again through our actions. If we do What he commands. So at this point, don't go to your heart and say, what do you believe? Because belief actually isn't the greatest signifier of friendship with Jesus. It's how we live. It's our actions. That is the determining piece for if we can say with confidence that we are a friend to God or if he is just a friend to us. This morning, we're going to take a chance. I'm going to take a chance. I felt as though God was, was saying to me as I was preparing this, this message that we can't just say, here's the truth, here's what we need to do, and now you go out and or we all go out and we, we just try to do it. I think that if, if action is what is required, I think action is where we start before we leave this place. I think action is what we're going to give ourselves a chance to take. So my question for you this morning is this. If you look at your life, and I've done a lot of looking at my life too, as I've been going through this study this week. If you look at your life and you desire to be a friend of Jesus and move beyond just having Jesus as your friend, move beyond just the idea of being saved, then I want to give you a chance to respond this morning. This could be a first-time decision where it's like, yeah, you know, I've believed for years that Jesus is my Savior, but I've never taken a step as far as action goes into, into showing him that I'm interested in responding to his friendship the way he desires. This could also be a recommitment kind of thing where you said, you know, I used to follow him. I used to be that friend. I remember years ago serving here in the church. I remember having this passion and I would tell other people about Jesus, but I don't know what happened to that. It's, it's fallen away and, and I, I don't like the version of myself that I've become. So you may be in these two different camps, but nonetheless, this morning, I'm going to ask you to take action. I'm going to ask you to respond. I urge you right now in this moment, even if if you want to close your eyes, as a matter of fact, I would encourage you to do that. Just listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit in your heart. Listen to to the truth that he's speaking to you. Is he telling you, yes, of course you're my friend. Look at the action that you're taking. But if there's something, uh, an unsettling silence within you, it's like, man, I don't know. I'd certainly believe in Jesus. And I'm certainly thankful that he has saved me from my sins. But there's a silence in you when it comes to 
understanding the actions that you may or may not have taken, then this is your morning. I urge you to respond in action to the Holy Spirit. In a moment here, we're going to sing a song. I have no idea if this song is going to have anything to do with what we've talked about this morning, but that really doesn't matter. Because during this last song, I'm going to stand in the front row. And if you want to take your first action step to prove to yourself and to Jesus that you are interested in being his friend, just come and stand with me in the front row. I'm not going to ask you to say anything. I'm not going to ask you to do anything. But in a safe place where we all want each other to live and grow to become more like Jesus, this is a place where we can take an action step. Right? This is a place where we can trust one another. No one's going to look at you weird and say, Oh my goodness, I can't believe that they, don't, they think this way or they don't think that way. Who cares? This is between you and the Holy Spirit. So Leona and the team, if you want to come up and be prepared to sing, I'm going to stand in the front row. If you feel in your heart of hearts that the Holy Spirit is leading you to say, Yeah, take this step. Let's truly take our friendship to the next level. Come and stand with me. Maybe after the service we can pray together. Maybe we can talk if you want. It's totally up to you. But this is the time for action.